as we begin, I invite you to breathe in deeply of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is with his people. We have been invited to come and worship the creator of heaven and earth who took on all of our wrongdoings to give us peace. So as we begin with the scripture today, let's breathe in his presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and among us now. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, Consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold firm to the confidence and the pride that belongs to hope. One question that comes directly at us from this passage is this, to what are you most faithful in life? What is it in your life on which you focus most of your attention? Being faithful is related to what our beliefs are, yet they are not necessarily correlated, are they? We can believe with all our hearts that smoking is bad for us, but we can still do it. In other words, we can be faithful to a habit that's bad for us, even when we know and trust it's going to harm us. We can be faithful in church and not believe in God. Or we can believe in an ideal and do nothing about it. We are contrary creatures. Now, this is not a sermon about integrity, yet I would propose that the author of this epistle would have expected their audience to have harmony between what they practiced and what they believed about God. Indeed, it is their honesty about going back to former practices, going back to Judaism, that enables the writer to exhort them in the way that we read here. The people for whom this is intended have been transparent about their doubts and their journey. Another good sermon for a different day. There are beautiful truths here for us to reflect upon in our meditation before communion. This passage begins with the audience being addressed for the first time. Brothers and sisters, the writer says, brothers and sisters who are holy partners in a heavenly calling. Last week we talked about how Jesus is our brother. And that idea continues to all who follow Jesus because we are all connected. Here as siblings, 
but also holy partners called by God for a higher purpose than we can have on earth. We know what holy means. We might call it consecrated or sacred or sanctified. People who choose to live for Jesus, whose spirit has connected them together. I like the ideas of being partners together right away before talking about two incredible models of faithfulness, the writer puts us in the same category as them. We are partners, just like Moses, just like Jesus, who were set apart for service to God. Consider Jesus, the writer says. Here we are urged as listeners to focus more intently on the Savior. It has the same idea as paying attention that we talked about a few weeks ago. We should fix our eyes firmly on the Lord. Jesus uses the same word in Luke 12 when he taught the disciples not to worry. Consider the ravens, he says. They don't sow, nor do they reap, but God feeds them. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, but God clothes them in glory. Consider here doesn't just mean to look at something. It means to focus on something so we can discern what it really means. Really look at Jesus, the author is saying, and try to understand what God is trying to teach you through him. Jesus, whose teachings invite us to more than we can comprehend on our own, is one we should continually listen to. We should continually seek. We should continually look to because he has all wisdom. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called apostle. Jesus was sent. That's what apostle means. One who is sent. Jesus was sent as an ambassador who had full authority from the sovereign who sent him. Full authority to proclaim the message of God. And this thought continues as the writer also calls Jesus our high priest. In his commentary, Scottish pastor William Barclay reminds us that the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. What a beautiful idea that Jesus as our high priest is the one who builds the bridge back from us to God or from God to us. The priest builds a bridge between humans and God, which means that the priest has to know intimately both parties. They have to be able to speak to the people for God, but they also have to understand and know how to reveal God's heart and will to the people. Jesus is fully God, fully divine, and fully human. So he is the perfect, the only high priest who can affect, 
reconciliation between us and God. An idea that we're going to talk a lot about later in Hebrews, but again, we want to focus in on what it means that Jesus is our high priest. He is the bridge builder. And the writer is saying that this is our confession. This is what we say to be true about Jesus because we have taken time to fully consider who he is and we understand that he was sent by God. He was sent by God to be the bridge between us and God and we have chosen to follow him. That is our confession. We are next invited to remember Moses. Jesus was faithful to the sovereign who appointed him as ambassador, the writer says, just as Moses was faithful to God as well. Both Moses and Jesus were directed to serve God's people by leading them. And here is where the sameness ends. They're both faithful, they're both called to lead God's people, but we are shown how Jesus is greater than one of the all-time greats. Moses is considered one of the all-time greats in scripture. He looms larger than life because of, of his obedience to all that God called him to do. Moses was used by God to lead the people out of slavery and oppression. He did what was asked of him, even though he was a reluctant leader. He tried to talk God out of using him. And he remained faithful to the Lord. In the face of 40 years, of leading people who wanted to go their own way. He stays engaged with what God wanted. He stays engaged to give the law, to adjudicate the law. He stays faithful to everything that God asks him to do, even when the journey seems endless. Even when he's overwhelmed and he cries out to the Lord, even when there's much uncertainty, he stayed faithful even though his own journey ended with only a glimpse, a view of the promised land. And in all that Moses did, the writer says here, he pointed the way to the Messiah who would come later. He was a placeholder, the one who would lead God's people again out of oppression and bondage to new places of God's choosing. We want to pay close attention to the metaphor here of the house, which the writer weaves in and through the passage. Notice that it says that Moses was faithful in, in all God's house as a servant. And Jesus was faithful over God's house as a son, both called by God but both having very different roles. Moses is part of the household of faith. He did not create the house. He did not bring the law. Rather, he labored in the house for a certain time. And Jesus is greater because he is the son. He is the heir. He is the one who has a vested interest and full authority. He is the one who made the house as the architect. The writer points out how a builder has more honor than the house itself. 
And I've been thinking about that quite a bit this week. Without the architects of the amazing places we know, we don't have those places. But how often do we reverse that idea? We take time to ooh and ah over certain buildings without having a clue as the, uh, to the identity of the person whose genius brought that building to life. We celebrate the art so often without taking time to know the artist. For Black History Month, I encourage you to look up gifted architects whose work you may have seen but had no idea who was behind it, such as Julian Abele, who was the primary designer of the West Campus of Duke University, including the gorgeous chapel, and Paul Revere Williams, whose genius child was the Space Age Buildings at LAX or Beverly Lorraine Green, who was the first black female architect who was licensed in the United States in 1942, who helped create the unique headquarters at UNESCO. Consider Jesus, who is the architect of the house of God. He is the builder. He is the one who is to be honored. And we have to ask ourselves, is there a way that we honor the work of Jesus without honoring him, his power, his church, his miracles, the answers that he gives us to prayer? Is there a way that we look at those things and don't really pay attention or acknowledge who he is? Consider Jesus, the writer says, continue looking at him and recognizing who he is as the architect and the builder of our faith. Then the writer goes on and says, we, we are the house. We are the building. And this echoes words from first Peter that says that we are living stones being built up into a spiritual dwelling of the almighty God we are the house where God delights to dwell. God takes up residence among us. He abides in us. He lives in us that we might be a living, growing edifice who brings him glory. Look at verse 6. Christ was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold firm. We are his house if. We have to remember the if. If what? If we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belongs to hope. I would encourage you to spend some time in this sentence this week. This sentence means more than just believing in God, than just giving nodding assent to who he is. The idea here is that we are God's home. We are God's dwelling place if we keep a tight grip on our faith. Confidence and pride here both carry with it a willingness, a desire to speak publicly, to, to proclaim and confess who God is, to boast in God. Paul says, if we're going to boast in anything, 
Let's boast in Christ and him crucified. Christ and his work on the cross. We are considered part of God's house if we hold on tight and if we proclaim Jesus as Lord and if we live with hope. Even in times of hardship, even in times of tribulation and persecution and suffering. This brings us back to our question from the beginning. To what are you most faithful in your life? The passage gives us words of assurance that we can retain a solid grip on our Savior in all we do. And all we do, are we faithful to Jesus? Whose greatness eclipses everything else we could possibly know. Is our church faithful to Jesus in what we do? Who we are as a community? How it is that we live out corporately our faith in him? Communion is a way that we corporately hold on to our confession of our faith. It's an affirmation that we believe that Jesus was the one who was sent to be the bridge between us and God. In communion, we repent of the sin that separates us from the Lord. As we take the elements, we confess Jesus is Lord. He's the architect of our souls and of the church. He is the one in whom we have hope. We publicly again renew and say we will put our trust in him. We will faithfully live for him. We will testify to what he has done, making sure that people know that he is the builder. He is more important than the building and what he is now doing what he's done, what he's now doing, what he will do in the future, we will commit anew to be faithful servants like Moses of the Savior who is worth all of our time and all of our worship and is in the middle of everything that we do. It is in moments like these that God continues to grow us up in him. It is in sacred communion that God builds us to be more of who he created us to be, that we would be more like Jesus. He has begun the church and he will continue to grow us up until he comes again. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.